Section 18 of The Reconciliation of Races and Religions by Thomas Kelly Chain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nicholas James Bridgewater. Dayan. We have already been introduced to a prominent Babi, variously called Asadullah and Dayan. He was also a member of the hierarchy called the Letters of the Living. He may have been a man of capacity, but I must confess that the event to which his name is specially attached indisposes me to admit that he took part in the so-called Council of Tehran. To me he appears to have been one of those Babis who, even in critical periods, acted without consultation with others, and who imagined that they were absolutely infallible. Certainly he would never have promoted the claims of Sobhya Azal, whose defects he had learned from that personage's secretary. He was well aware that Azal was ambitious, and he thought that he had a better claim to the supremacy himself. It would have been wiser, however, to have consulted Baha'u'llah, and to have remembered the prophecy of the Bab, in which it was expressly foretold, that Dayan would believe on him whom God would make manifest. Subh Azal was not slow to detect the weak point in Dayan's position, who could not be at once the expected one and a believer in the expected one. Footnote see Azal's own words in Mustaykaz, page six and footnote. Dayan, however, made up as well as he could for his inconsistency. He went at last to Baha'u'llah, and discussed the matter in all its bearings with him. The result was that, with great public spirit, he retired in favour of Baha. The news was soon spread abroad. It was not helpful to the cause of Azal. Some of the Azalites, who had read the Christian Gospels, translated by Henry Martin, surnamed Dayan, quote, the Judas Iscariot of this people, end quote. Footnote, Traveller's Narrative, page 357, end footnote. Others, instigated probably by their leaders, thought it best to nip the flower in the bud. So by Azalite hands, Dayan was foully slain. It was on this occasion that Azal vented curses and abusive language on his rival. The proof is only too cogent, though the two books which contain it are not as yet printed. Footnote, they are both in the British Museum and are called respectively Mustaykaz, number 6256, and Asar el number 6256. I am indebted for facts, partly, and references to manuscripts to my friend Mirza Ali Akbar. End footnote. Mirza Haydar Ali, a delightful Baha'i disciple, the Fra Angelico, of the brethren as we may call him mirza haydar ali was especially interesting to younger visitors to abdul baha one of them writes thus quote, he was a venerable smiling old man with long persian robes and a spotlessly white turban as we had travelled along the persian ladies had laughingly spoken of a beautiful young man who they were sure would captivate me. They would make a match between us, they said. This now proved to be the aged Mirza, whose kindly, humorous old eyes 
twinkled merrily as he heard what they had prophesied, and joined in their laughter. They did not cover before him. Afterwards the lady told me something of his history. He was imprisoned for fourteen years during the time of the persecution. At one time, when he was being transferred from one prison to another, many days' journey away, he and his fellow prisoner, another Baha'i, were carried on donkeys, head downwards, with their feet and hands secured. Haydar Ali laughed and sang gaily, so they beat him unmercifully, and said, Now will you sing? But he answered them that he was more glad than before, since he had been given the pleasure of enduring something for the sake of God. He never married, and in Akka was one of the most constant and loved companions of Baha'u'llah. I remarked upon his cheerful appearance, and added, But all you Baha'is look happy, Mirza Haydar Ali said. Sometimes we have surface troubles, but that cannot touch our happiness. The heart of those who belong to the Malikut, kingdom of God, is like the sea. When the wind is rough, it troubles the surface of the water, but two metres down there is perfect calm and clearness. End quote. The preceding passage is by Miss E. S. Stevens, Fortnightly Review, June 1911. A friend, who has also been a guest in Abdul Baha's house, tells me that Haydar Ali is known at Akka as the Angel Abdul Baha Abbas Effendi, the eldest son of Baha'u'llah, is our dear and venerated abdul baha servant of the splendor otherwise known as abbas effendi he was born at the midnight following the day on which the bab made his declaration he was therefore eight years old and the sister who writes her recollections five when in august eighteen fifty two an attempt was made on the life of the shah by a young babi disaffected to the ruling dynasty. The future Abdul Baha was already conspicuous for his fearlessness and for his passionate devotion to his father. The Gamins of Tehran might visit him as he paced to and fro, waiting for news from his father. But he did not mind, not he. One day his sister, a mere child, was returning home under her mother's care and found him surrounded by a band of boys. Quote, he was standing in their midst as straight as an arrow, a little fellow, the youngest and smallest of the group, firmly but quietly commanding them not to lay their hands upon him, which, strange to say, they seemed unable to do. End quote. Footnote Phelps, pages 14, 15, end footnote. This love to his father was strikingly shown during the absence of Baha'u'llah in the mountains when this affectionate youth fell a prey to inconsolable paroxysms of grief. Footnote, same as above, page 20, end footnote. At a later time, on the journey from Baghdad to Constantinople, Abdul Baha seemed to constitute himself the special attendant of his father quote, in order to get a little rest 
he adopted the plan of riding swiftly a considerable distance ahead of the caravan when dismounting and causing his horse to lie down he would throw himself on the ground and place his head on his horse's neck so he would sleep until the cavalcade came up when his horse would awake him by a kick and he would remount End quote. footnote phelps pages thirty one thirty two and footnote in fact in his youth he was fond of riding and there was a time when he thought that he would like hunting but quote, when i saw them killing birds and animals i thought that this could not be right then it occurred to me that better than hunting for animals to kill them was hunting for the souls of men to bring them to god i then resolved that i would be a hunter of this sort this was my first and last experience in the chase End quote. a seeker of the souls of men this is indeed a good description of both father and son neither the one nor the other had much of what we call technical education but both understood how to cast a spell on the soul awakening its dormant powers abdul baha had the courage to frequent the mosques and argue with the mullahs he used to be called the master par excellence and the governor of adrianople became his friend and proved his friendship in the difficult negotiations connected with the removal of the Baha'ites to Akka. Footnote, same as above, page 20, note 2, end footnote. But no one was such a friend to the unfortunate Baha'ites as Abdu'l-Baha. The conditions under which they lived on their arrival at Akka were so unsanitary that, quote, everyone in our company fell sick, excepting my brother, my mother, an aunt, and two others of the believers. End quote. Footnote Phelps, pages 47 to 51. End footnote. Happily, Abdu'l-Baha had in his baggage some quinine and bismuth. With these drugs and his tireless nursing, he brought the rest through, but then collapsed himself. He was seized with dysentery and was long in great danger. But even in this prison city, he was to find a friend. A Turkish officer had been struck by his unselfish conduct, and when he saw Abdu'l-Baha brought so low, he pleaded with the governor that a Hakim might be called in. This was permitted with the happiest result. It was now the physician's turn. In visiting his patient he became so fond of him that he asked if there was nothing else he could do. Abdu'l-Baha begged him to take a tablet, that is, a letter, to the persian believers thus for two years an intercourse with the friends outside was maintained the physician prudently concealed the tablets in the lining of his hat it ought to be mentioned here that the hardships of the prison city were mitigated later during the years eighteen ninety five to nineteen hundred he was often allowed to visit haifa observing this the American friends built Baha'u'llah a house in Haifa, and this led to hardening of the conditions of his life. But upon the whole, we may apply to him those ancient words, quote, He maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. End quote. In 1914, 
Abdul Baha visited Akka, living in the house of Baha'u'llah, near where his father was brought with wife and children and seventy Persian exiles forty-six years ago. But his permanent home is in Haifa, a very simple home where, however, the call for hospitality never passes unheeded. Quote, From sunrise, often till midnight, he works, in spite of broken health, never sparing himself if there is a wrong to be righted or a suffering to be relieved. His is indeed a selfless life, and to have passed beneath its shadow is to have been one forever to the cause of peace and love. End quote. Since 1908, Abdul Baha has been free to travel. The political victory of the young Turks opened the doors of Akka as well as for other political houses of restraint. America, England, France, and even Germany have shared the benefit of his presence. It may be that he spoke too much. It may be that even in England his most important work was done in personal interviews, educationally valuable, therefore, as some answered questions, 1908, may be. We cannot attach so much importance to it as to the story, the true story of the converted Mohammedan. When at home, Abdul Baha only discusses Western problems with visitors from the West. The legacy left by Baha'u'llah to his son was, it must be admitted, an onerous educational duty. It was contested by Muhammad Effendi by means which remind us unpleasantly of subh Azal, but unsuccessfully. Undeniably, Baha'u'llah conferred on Abbas Effendi, Abdul Baha, the title of Center of the Covenant, with the special duty annexed of the expounder of the book. I venture to hope that this expounding may not in the future extend to philosophic philological, scientific, and exegetical details. Just as Jesus made mistakes about Moses and David, so may Baha'u'llah and Abdu'l-Baha fall into error on secular problems, among which it is obvious to include biblical and Qur'anic exegesis. It appears to me that the essence of Baha'ism is not dogma but the unification of peoples and religions in a certain high-minded and far from unpractical mysticism. I think that Abdu'l-Bahá is just as much devoted to mystic and yet practical religion as his father. In one of the reports of his talks or monologues, he is introduced as saying, quote, A moth loves the light, though its wings are burnt. Though his wings are singed, he throws himself against the flame. He does not love the light because it has conferred some benefits upon him. Therefore he hovers round the light, though he sacrifice his wings. This is the highest degree of love. Without this abandonment, this ecstasy, love is imperfect. The lover of God loves him for himself not for his own sake. End quote. From Abbas Effendi by E. S. Stevens, 
Fortnightly Review, June 1911, page 1067. This is, surely, the essence of mysticism. As a characteristic of the Church of the Abhal, it goes back, as we have seen, to the Bab. As a characteristic of the Brotherhood of the New Dispensation, it is plainly set forth by Kishab Chandra Sen. It is also Christian and goes back to Paul and John. This is the hidden wisdom, the pearl of great price. End of section 18. End of part 3. Biographical and historical continued. Recording by Nicholas James Bridgewater. Recorded in Oxford, England.